Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot audio ground school podcast hey what's up future pilots this is nick from part-time pilot thanks for listening to the audio ground school podcast in today's episode we're going to be continuing the lessons of our online ground school in section five which is weather theory weather charts and weather information last episode we covered Lesson one, which is air masses and weather systems, which gives you a big sort of overall picture of the macro trends of weather in on Earth, you know, in the United States, for example. And then now we're going to get into more detail of some of the hazardous weather and then we'll get into how to how to deal with that weather, how to find the weather, how to read information on the weather and stuff like that. So. This lesson is going to be on thunderstorms, and then if we have time, we'll get into lesson three, which is wind shear, and maybe even lesson four, which is temperature inversions. So this episode is releasing on November 21st, which, sorry, 28th, which is Cyber Monday. So on Friday, Black Friday, we announced our Black Friday deal that was super, super popular last year. We had the most students ever enroll in a single week last year during Black Friday. It was super popular because it's such a great deal, and we're doing it again this year. It's 30% off for the entire ground school or the bundle or the checkride prep course. So you can get the two courses together or just one at a time. You can get 30% off your total order. So that means our online ground school is $199.99, 30% off that. You save $60. And our online ground school has yet to have a student fail, as I mentioned. And you're getting it for $140. That's half the price of like Kings and Sporties and Gold Seal and all those other ones. Half the price. You still get lifetime access, full money back guarantee, access to our live lesson and Q&A on Zoom, access to our private Facebook group, all the downloadable ebooks, bonus content, flashcards, practice tests, and download to our test prep book PDF version. All that stuff included for just half the price of all that other stuff. And your endorsement, of course, is included. So Cyber Monday is today. We're only going to be doing this for a couple more days. And the coupon code, as I announced on Friday, is PTP. Black Friday. So PTP stands for part-time pilot, no spaces, PTP Black Friday. Enter that in the checkout page. Just go to parttimepilot.com, click on ground school, and then click 
to go check out and then you're going to put in a discount code and say apply coupon. You're going to put PTP Black Friday in there and it'll take 30% off your total. So this is your best chance and best deal you'll ever have again for the part-time pilot lifetime access to our ground school and you can follow along on these audio lessons so you can get the full complete picture. So anytime I talk about figures, diagrams, mnemonic devices, stuff like that, you'll be able to reference that in the online ground school. You'll be able to follow along with the quizzes. You'll be able to come join us on the lives, all that stuff. And you'll be eligible for our thousand dollar scholarships that we give and for runner up gets free ground school. So all that stuff you'll get for just as little as $140. So it's only going to be a couple more days for this deal. I, this is literally the only time I ever do a, a discount deal and it's on black Friday cause it was so popular last year. So take advantage of this. But for those of you still, still contemplating whether this is the right online ground school for you, I 100% agree that you should really check out all your options and you'll really want to know what it is the online ground school is actually like before you get into it. And to do that, Today I have a, a special treat that I want to play for you guys. I've asked some of my students to give me a, a audio clip of what they experienced in our course. And this one is really special to me. Indu was a great student and you'll see, well, you'll hear, hear from her. She's going to tell you her experience in the online ground school. So for those out there that are still trying to think, still wondering what it's like for students, maybe you guys might relate to Indu. She's a mom, she has a full-time job, and she still wants to pursue her dream of becoming a pilot. So if you are like her and have limited amount of time and are wondering, she was also really worried about being good at math and if that would be a hindrance to her. So check out what Indu has to say. It might give you a little bit of insight of what the part-time pilot online ground school is so that you can maybe decide whether or not you wanna pull that trigger before this Black Friday deal finally ends. So without further ado, let's listen to Indu's experience with the Part-Time Pilot Online Ground School. Hi, I just took my exams and I am so thankful to Nick for being there for me. I am a mother, I'm a professional, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I am a community worker. So given all these roles that I have to fulfill every day the 24 hours is not enough and i was at a verge of just giving it up my dream it's not my profession it's just my wish to be able to be a pilot so do i have to do this can i do this i was at a point where i thought when i thought this is it i can't do it maybe in my next life that's when part-time pilot I really mean it. I Googled and it popped up. It's called part-time pilot. And I asked my family, should I just send the money and try it? Why not? I tried it. And I'm telling you, money well spent. And I can't tell you, there are so many commercial courses, excellent you know, the kind of theory. They all give you similar theory that you need to pass this test. But what is so special about part-time pilot? Nick is special. He is a great teacher. He never turns you down. He's available on the speed dial. 
um, you can text him, you can send him and shoot him an email, you can contact him via Facebook. You know, there is never a time, I really mean it, this is not an ad. I'm just saying it because I'm so grateful for what he has done. And, um, you know, no matter what, how simple the question is, I'm not at all good with math. And I would ask him, how do you do that? And he would simplify that for me. So I really, really want to say this simply because I scored 92%. And that is a great achievement given where I started this journey from, you know. So I would like for all those people like me who are out there struggling and second guessing whether you can do this or not, please make use of part-time pilot and Nick will get you there. Show him your dedication and he'll get your dream come true. Love it, Nick. Keep doing what you're doing. This is not for money, man. You're not a commercial guy. You're an excellent teacher. You teach from your heart and, and it is felt um, in every session that you run, hours and hours, the money that you charge me is nothing. The hours that you gave me is everything. What a lovely knowledge to learn from you. All right. Have a great one, guys. If you need any help, Nick is there. Just jump in and get that part-time pilot support so that he can continue to do what he is doing. Great work. Great pilot, Nick. Take care. Bye-bye, guys. Okay, so Indu, once again, thank you. That You guys, that's actually the first time I've ever listened to that Indu. I asked her if she would do that for me after after she passed her FA written exam. And wow, what, what kind words from, from Indu. She's a fantastic student, asked great questions. So wow, that <laughs> thank you Indu, that, that was amazing. And hopefully it shows all of you guys you know, what I really am here for is to help you guys and, and provide that personal touch, that mentorship that a lot, I feel like a lot of students need to have that extra boost to, to make this a dream for them. So again, thanks Indu. And if you have any questions or you want to get started and find more information on the part-time pilot ground school, go to parttimepilot.com and type in, or just click on the menu on ground school. I'll also have a link in the show notes where you can access that. Okay, so let's get to the lessons. This lesson, like I said, is going to be on thunderstorms. Now, I've kind of mentioned this before in the last episode, but if a pilot's license were a bachelor's degree, if it was a degree out of college, then all pilots would probably also have enough knowledge for a minor in meteorology or the study of weather. Why? Well, that's because Mother Nature is our boss. It's the pilot's boss. We pilots must play by her rules and follow her orders. When she gives us the signs of hazardous weather, we best remain on the ground. So we have to be able to find those signs and stay away from those hazardous weather. So that's what we're going to talk about here. That's what the FAA wants you to know. And for good reason, it can be very dangerous, especially for those of us flying small single engine aircraft. A strong wind gust, wind shear, lightning, Low-level fog, icing, rain, mud, and much, much more can all be very deadly. So we're going to discuss some of the most common types of hazardous weather, starting with thunderstorms in this lesson. Now, I just want to talk about an example that's been going on right now in our world recently with 
it is hurricane season and I don't know how many times I've seen videos or images of you know local airports with flight schools and, and small aircraft that weren't either you know maybe even some of them were properly tied down and the hurricane winds just ripped those and flipped those aircraft that I feel so bad for for those hopefully they had insurance on all that but it just goes to show how much these and that's in a that's in hurricane winds but it doesn't even have to be in hurricane winds where you can get a wind gust strong enough to flip over a general aviation aircraft that's just sitting on the ground. That's why, you one, you have to properly tie down your aircraft whenever you're done. You have to tie down the nose, you have to chalk it, tie down the wings and the tail. That It's very, very critical that you do that uh, when you're done with your aircraft so that nothing like that happens and your whole entire day and year is ruined when you ruin your aircraft. But it just goes to show these little aircraft how at, at a whim we are to the powers of mother nature so i just wanted to you can go look on youtube and sort of see these these effects on these small general aviation aircraft we'll also get in and talked about wake turbulence which is the 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 vortices from other large aircraft that can also do the same things to these small aircraft and can totally flip them in the air and, and cause them to go to stall and go, get completely out of control so we have to remain humble and remember that that we are at at the mercy of of mother nature and her weather so let's just keep that in perspective and make sure we're always always being safe reading ahead in the weather and be doing playing our best part of weather man or woman that we can all right so let's get into thunderstorms in order for a thunderstorm to form there needs to be unstable atmospheric conditions a lifting force and high moisture levels. So unstable atmospheric conditions, a lifting force, and high moisture levels. I mentioned how to predict you know, unstable weather in the last episode. So if you didn't check that out, go check it out. We talked about something, the difference between the actual lapse, temperature lapse rate and the adiabatic lapse rate. When that increases, you're going to get lifting force of air. You're gonna get air flowing vertically, and that lifting force that vertical lifting force causes any moisture in the air, which we said high moisture levels. When it's high moisture level and you have that lifting lifting air, you're going to get high condensation rates and you're going to get those big towering cumulus clouds and you're also going to get convection, which you know causes electricity and thunderstorms. So with these three actions, the the unstable atmosphere, lifting force, and high moisture levels, a thunderstorm can be created. Generally, the lifting force leading to a thunderstorm is caused by rising air due to terrain, rising air due to unequal warming of the Earth's surface, and rising air due to warm or cold fronts. Again, remember we talked about how a warm front kind of goes up and over a cold front. And that in the last episode, we also talked about how a cold front is usually associated with worse weather because it forces the warm air. As it moves into the, uh, a warm air mass, it forces that warm air up. And that is sort of the lifting action with the moist warm air being lifted by that cold front coming in. That's that lifting action we're talking about. We also talked about you know, why you always see cumulus clouds or thunderstorms near mountain ranges we see that all the time if you look east 
past San Diego, especially in the fall, you get thunderstorms building because the air has to has to rise up over these mountain ranges and as it rises if it has any moisture in it which it usually does when it's coming off the ocean it's going to have moisture in it. it's going to rise it's going to condense into these cumulus clouds and you'll get thunderstorms so we talked about that again if you haven't listened to the last episode it's important to understand what's going on here in this episode so go check that out once a thunderstorm is created it goes through a life cycle of three stages and these stages you will want to memorize because you'll likely be asked about this. If not on your written exam, you will be asked on your check ride. So stage one is called the cumulus stage. And it's we the cumulus stage is the continuous updraft of lifting or lifting of air into the upper atmosphere. So this is all everything that we've been talking about. It's a continuous updraft into the upper atmosphere, which cools the air and condenses the water vapor within it into water droplets or ice crystals forming towering cumulus clouds. And we have a good visual of this with altitudes and the clouds and the lifting forces as well as the freezing level, which you can see. So you can see where the water droplets would be and then above that where ice crystals would be inside these towering cumulus clouds. And that's in the online ground school, the, le the lesson for thund thunderstorms. So go check that out. And then the next one is high winds are going to be associated with this cumulus stage. And then you'll, you might get already at this point in stage one, occasional lightning. Then you go on to stage two, which we call the mature stage. So stage one was the cumulus stage. Stage two is the mature stage. This is when you're going to get precipitation falling and that, that marks the mature stage. So scientists said, okay, when you start to get precipitation, that, that's the mature stage of the thunderstorm. And this is when it's at its greatest intensity. This is when the thunderstorm, that lifting force and that convection is at its greatest intensity. So it's for pilots, think intensity. That, that's the most dangerous. At any stage, we want to avoid these thunderstorms, but that's just, just a way for you to understand the intensity level. It's going to have extremely turbulent conditions, again, high winds, and at this point, you're probably going to have frequent lightning and thunder and lightning at this point in the mature stage. Stage three is the dissipating stage. The dissipating stage is characterized by downdrafts as energy is released from the storm, causing it to weaken. So we had updrafts, right, in, in the cumulus stage, and then it intensified to its highest amount in the mature stage then we started to get rain and now in this dissipating stage you're going to get downdrafts as the energy is released from the storm causing it to weaken and again we have we have a picture of the mature stage as well and then we have a picture of this dissipating stage with arrows that kind of shows you where the the wind and the air is dispersing in this dissipating stage it's also common to still have lightning throughout this stage. Rainfall intensity starts to decrease, but lightning and strong winds still remain possible, if not frequent. Air flows down in strong downdrafts, which again can be very dangerous to us pilots. So even if you see a, a thunderstorm that's dissipating and you wanna fly underneath it, if there's any terrain below you, even if there's not terrain below you, that could be a very, very bad idea because of these strong downdrafts in that dissipating stage so at no stage of a thunderstorm stage one stage two stage three is it 
<laughs> advisable to fly through a thunderstorm, especially for general aviation small aircraft. So we just want to avoid thunderstorms at all costs. And again, these stages were stage one, the cumulus stage. That's the updraft creating those cumulus clouds. Stage two is the mature stage. You start to get rain, heavy rainfall and showers, and you're going to have frequent lightning and very turbulent conditions. That's at its greatest intensity. And then stage three is the dissipating stage, which energy is released. You still might have some rain and lightning, but then you're going to get these strong downdrafts as the energy sort of disperses and, and it dissipates the storm. All right, so those are the three stages that you'll want to remember for a thunderstorm. Thunderstorms are accompanied by some of the most dangerous weather conditions for a pilot. And we mentioned some of these already, but I just want to reiterate those. High winds, wind shear, up and down drafts. And wind shear, if you don't know what wind shear is, we're going to cover that in more detail in a lesson here in a bit. So just for now, know that it is associated with thunderstorms. So high winds, wind shear, up and down drafts, as we talked about, turbulence, hail, rain, snow, lightning, and severe icing conditions. If there is a thunderstorm act, if there is thunderstorm activity in the vicinity of an airport where you plan on landing, expect wind shear and severe turbulence on your approach and make strong consideration to land elsewhere. So even if it's in your vicinity, you can expect some lingering on the outer edges, just in the vicinity, some of these weather conditions and effects like wind shear and severe turbulence. So you, again, we wanna stay as far away as possible. So if you're coming in to land in the vicinity, you might wanna think about calling the tower, asking them what the, what the situation is there, if they're feeling the effects of that nearby thunderstorm and possibly think about landing somewhere else. In fact, and I mentioned this in, in the lesson, thunderstorms should be avoided at all costs. I just really want to reiterate that as a general aviation pilot. A pilot should never land or take off in the face of an approaching thunderstorm due to sudden gusts and low-level turbulence. A pilot should never try to fly through or below a thunderstorm, and a pilot cannot rely on the visual appearance of a thunderstorm as an accurate representation of its strength. So again, all clues and reasons to just avoid them. Sometimes thunderstorm cells can become organized within a long line that precedes a cold front. And we mentioned this last episode, but I just want to mention it again. This is known as a squall line. A squall line is a non-frontal, narrow band of active thunderstorms that often develop ahead of a cold front. They are accompanied by squalls of high wind, heavy rain, and possible hail that can extend over 100 miles and move quickly up to 60 miles per hour. So that is the lesson on thunderstorms. Remember those stages, remember what is associated with those stages, and also remember the dangerous things that come with thunderstorms and that you should avoid them as a general aviation pilot. And before we get started on the wind shear lesson, I want to take a quick break. Again, I'm going to get some water and I want you guys to hear something that I think will be beneficial to you guys as student and private pilots. Hey, what's up, future pilots? Do you still rent or borrow your aviation headset from your flight school? I remember when I was a student pilot, I definitely borrowed for over a full year from my flight school before I was gifted my own set. But flying in Southern California, I can tell you right now that every student who borrowed those headsets was just filling those ear pads 
with sweat and grime every single time. And every single time I put on those headsets, I thought about that. And in fact, there was quite often when those headsets would stop working because they had so much use by so many different students. So it was kind of an inconvenience before I had my own set of headsets. But at the time, like it makes sense because I wasn't willing to fork over 500 to a thousand dollars for a headset. You know, I wasn't willing to give up. That's like four to six flight lessons. So I couldn't afford that for a quality pair of headsets. Well, with core aviation, you can get a quality, durable and good looking headset for less than $200 or even $100. So I heard of core from a friend and had to try them out myself. I'm always on the lookout for ways that my students can save money while still getting a quality product. So I went out and I bought a set of KA-1 core headsets for my own and was amazed at the similarities in comfort and audio quality that they had with my Bose headsets or the David Clark models that I had borrowed from the flight school. So this core KA-1 headset, let me just tell you some of the things that comes with this headset at the low price of under $200. It's got five-year manufacturer warranty service in the US. High density acoustic foam ear cups with best in class passive noise attenuation, up to 50% higher industry standard passive noise reduction rating of 24 dB. Ultra soft silicone gel ear seals that allow your ears to breathe so they don't get super sweaty up there. Dual volume controls for quick adjustments in each ear. Electric noise canceling flex boom microphone for quiet communication. Gold plated plugs for best connection and corrosion resistance and to limit the amount of times you have calm issues while you're up there flying. Very, very important. And it even has a three and a half millimeter audio port for iOS, Android, MP3 compatibility if that's something you want to do. And the best part is that the ones I got are still going strong after three years of continuous use. And sometimes I give my passengers my Bose ones and I use the core aviation ones. So. To all, everyone that's listening that wants your own headset and wants to, you know, be that official pilot and not borrow those sweaty rental headsets at your flight school, go check out Core Aviation at coreheadset.com. And this is Core with a K, so that's K-O-R-E headset.com or K-O-R-E-H-E-A-D-S-E-T.com. And then use the coupon code. Here's the even cooler part coupon code part-time pilot to get 10% off. So you guys know how to spell part-time pilot. That's no spaces, P-A-R-T-T-I-M-E-P-I-L-O-T, part-time pilot, no spaces. Use that coupon code. You'll get 10% off. And right now, Core Aviation is doing a sale and they have no shipping costs. So you, shipping is free. So that means you can get their P1 general aviation headsets, which are like normally $120. You can get the and now they're like 109 on sale for 109. You get free shipping and then you get an additional 10% off if you use the coupon code part-time pilot. So you can get your own headset that I that has comes highly recommended by myself for less than $100. So Core is a great, great new company and they are awesome first headset for students. So go check it out. And they also look pretty cool, I think, and they're comfortable. So go check those out. Again, it's coreheadset.com, core with a K. Use coupon code part-time pilot. All 
All right, so let's get back to it on the lesson on wind shear. This is lesson three of section five in the online ground school. So I mentioned wind shear as being associated with thunderstorms. So what is wind shear? This will be a quick lesson that'll describe and tell you what exactly wind shear is. Wind shear is a change in wind speed and or direction. So either wind speed or direction, a change in it over a short distance. A wind shear can be a horizontal change in wind speed or a vertical change in wind speed. Wind shear can occur at any altitude, even close to the surface, where the difference between wind at the surface and wind at 3,000 feet or 5,000 feet is due to the friction of the air moving over the surface of the earth. Essentially, wind shear can occur at all altitudes and in all directions. So, I mentioned that the difference between wind at the surface and wind at 3,000 feet or 5,000 feet is due to friction of the air moving over the surface of the earth. So think of a smooth air smoothly flowing over the earth. Well, when you start to get things on the earth like trees, mountains, terrain, buildings, stuff like that, the wind is going to be impeded near that surface, near those obstacles and, and stuff on the ground. So it's going to slow, be slowed and have to change direction near the surface. That we call that wind friction on it's, it, it's causing friction with those obstacles on the surface and that's going to cause it the surface speed and direction to be much different than the wind up at 3,000 feet or 5,000 feet and this is important to remember because this is something the FAA written is going to ask you the difference between wind at the surface and wind at 3,000 or 5,000 feet is due to friction of the air moving over the surface of the earth and this is an example of wind shear it's over a short period a short uh, distance, right? It's just a few thousand feet of altitude, but at the surface you might have a wind direction and speed of uh, of one direction and speed, right? But then it's a thousand feet or two thousand feet up, it can be completely different. So if you sort of plot the wind direction and speed as you go up with altitude, it completely changes. And this is what what we're talking about as a vertical wind shear. As you go vertically, the wind direction and speed is changing. And that's this wind shear is going to cause turbulence for you as a pilot. And so I have a, a visual example of this, but let me just say a couple more things before I sort of talk about that visual. Essentially, wind shear can occur, again, it can occur at all altitudes and in all directions. Some common causes of wind shear at low levels are frontal activity, so cold fronts or warm fronts moving in. So when you Right, if you're on the, the edge of that frontal and you cross from one air mass to the other, that frontal activity where the temperature is different on one side to the other, you're gonna get a lot of air flowing and mixture right there and heat exchange, and that's gonna cause wind shear. Thunderstorms, because you have that rising air, you're gonna get these wind vectors that are not just horizontal with the ground, but they're rising, and that's gonna cause a lot of wind shear. Temperature inversions, can cause wind shear and we'll go into more detail on temperature versions later clear air turbulence and surface obstructions again we talked about the surface obstructions in a temperature inversion overnight cooling so i'll just briefly mention a temperature inversion but overnight cooling creates colder air near the surface and warmer air above it we mentioned that also last episode a pilot can expect wind shear in a temperature inversion whenever the wind speed at 2,000 to 4,000 feet above the surface is at least 25 knots. So basically what that's saying is if the wind speed from 2,000 to 4,000 feet above the surface is at least 25 knots and you have a temperature inversion, 
you can expect wind shear in that temperature version when the wind is at least 25 knots. Because the inversion traps, and the reason this is, is the inversion traps colder air below it, which will ha can have a much different direction and speed of wind. For more information on what constitutes wind shear and how to identify the possible presence of wind shear, I've included a link in the lesson of a great FAA PDF, and I will include that link in the show notes for you guys. It goes into great detail on wind shear. But for you guys on the FAA written exam, you really just want to remember a couple facts. You want to remember that wind shear is a change in wind speed and or direction over a short distance. And the difference between wind at the surface and wind at 3,000 or 5,000 feet is due to the friction of the air moving over the surface. You also want to remember that wind shear can occur at all altitudes and in all directions. And you want to remember that a pilot can expect wind shear in a temperature inversion when the wind speed from two to 4,000 feet above the surface is at least 25 knots. So I have an image here in the lesson in the online ground school. It shows a good representation of what this means. As altitude increases, I, I have some arrows and you can see how the wind direction is changing. So depending on what altitude you are at, the, direct, the wind will be different. The direction of the wind will be different. And then the same thing, I show kind of magnitudes of the wind changing with altitude. And that is also wind, speed, wind shear because, again, we mentioned it's either a change in direction or a change of speed, wind speed that is the definition of wind shear. Okay, so that takes us straight into lesson four of section five on temperature inversions. I've mentioned them, so let's talk about them. A temperature inversion occurs when the air mass at high altitudes is warmer than the air mass at lower altitudes. Normally, the temperature decreases by the estimated lapse rate as altitude increases, but in a temperature inversion, this is not the case. During a temperature inversion, a pilot should expect an increase in temperature as the altitude increases. So remember, normally we have a temperature lapse rate, which means the temperature lapses with altitude. So as you get higher, the temperature drops. That's the normal. But during a temperature inversion, a pilot should expect an increase in temperature as the altitude increases so it increases temperature is increasing as altitude increases which is the opposite of what we would normally expect thus the term temperature inversion and again you want to remember that fact for the fa written exam temperature inversions can be caused by rapid radiation cooling of the surface and air near the surface on cold clear nights with wind little wind and clouds the earth radiates heat quickly into the atmosphere Remember we talked about in the last episode that land cools at a much faster rate, the earth, right, at a much faster rate than water. So it, it cools and it warms at a much faster rate. It, it gets rid of its heat and, it, and, and gains heat at a much faster rate. So on cold, clear nights with little wind and clouds, the earth radiates its heat from the day quickly into the atmosphere. With no clouds or wind, to hold the heat close to the surface so and no wind to move it horizontally, the warm air rises into the cooler air above it. This accelerates the cooling of the surface and the air near the surface and causes a shallow layer of cold air with warm air above it. This is the most frequent type of ground or surface-based temperature inversion. Temperature inversions have a stable layer of warm air 
stacked on top of cold air near the surface. Other causes of temperature inversions could be ahead of a warm front when warmer meets cold air and flows up and over the cold air mass. Remember we talked about a warm front, that means the warm air is moving and it flows because it's less dense, it flows up and above the cold air mass. So now you have warm air, you can have warm air above that cold air and that would cause a temperature inversion. Let me just repeat a couple of the things I said because it was packed full of information that you need to remember. All right, so we talked about the rapid radiation cooling of the surface of the air near the surface as the most frequent type of ground or surface-based temperature inversions. Again, that is when you have rapid radiation. That means the heat from the ground is leaving and it's going into the air and it's cooling the air below it as so the the heat from the ground rises into the air above it and then it, it accelerates up and what you end up getting when you have no clouds or wind to disperse that heat it ends up rising into the upper layers and then as that land finally cools so it's lost all of its heat then the air right above that will also cool and so you, you have a pocket of air above it that's warm and then right at the surface it's now cool so that is the most common and frequent type of ground or surface based temperature inversion temperature inversions have a stable layer another thing i want you to remember temperature inversions have a stable layer of warm air stacked on top of cold air near the surface so keyword there is there's that's nothing new right we know that it's warm air stacked on top of cold air and that's usually we have cold air above right as temperature decreases as we go up but a temperature inversion is when you have warm air stacked on top but the key word here is stable layer of warm air stacked on top of cold air near the surface so you want to want to remember that that it has these layers of stable air because you don't have uh this mixture uh, of air you don't have a lot of wind that pushing this air out so when you have really these calm conditions and you get this radiation type of cooling from the ground that's what causes these stable layers of cold air at the ground and then warm air above it so in the ground school i have a picture of and it's color it's, it's colored so you have the warmest air near the surface and then you see that the heat are you as you go up it gets cooler and cooler and cooler and it turns blue and then we have and then we show a temperature inversion and you get cooler air at the surface but then you get a pocket of, or a layer stable layer of warm air above it and it kind of keeps that whatever is below that stable air uh, layer of warm air can kind of trap whatever is below it so again we talked about with warm fronts how you can have the warm front can go up and over the cold front and it, it's stable right you have these these thin layers of stratiform clouds and it's stable but below it it kind of traps anything below so if you have smoke haze fog rain or something the visibility below it can be sort of trapped because you're not getting this air dissipating upwards or or blowing sideways because it's sort of like a it's that warmer on top sort of trapping everything in. So you'll usually get bad visibility. Same thing here in a temperature version. And I show a diagram of that in the online ground school. So stable air means that the air has no tendency to rise. 
Thus, in a temperature inversion, the air is stable, not rising, and is good for low turbulence flight conditions. However, visibility is usually compromised in a temperature inversion, as I, as I just mentioned. And this is because the rising upward convective currents usually present to recycle the clean air to the surface does not occur. Instead, particles such as smoke, dust, haze, fog, etc. will be trapped near the surface below the warmer layer of air above it. When the relative humidity is high and there is a temperature inversion, a pilot should expect conditions of smooth air, poor visibility, fog, haze, or low clouds. Now, I want to mention something that happened in real life when I was living in Seattle that was the first time I ever heard of temperature inversions. So there was a, about a day and a half in Seattle where the whole entire city smelled really bad. It just, there was a weird funky smell in the air and people kind of just noticed it but lived on with their day no one really talked about it until i saw uh, a news article about someone from the uh, a meteorologist from the university of washington a professor from the university of washington explained why it was so smelly the other day and it was because we had a temperature inversion so we lost that convective upflow of air as well as we didn't have any high winds pushing the air horizontally and we just had this pocket of air around the city that was just stuck there from a temperature inversion above it so we we didn't have that recycling of clean fresh air coming in from the ocean or anywhere else from the upper atmosphere and you know our air coming or starting low and then getting pushed up to the upper atmosphere and then getting pushed around back over the ocean and recycling. We didn't have that recycling of air. And so we were just, and this is the crazy part that kind of makes me a little sick to my stomach that just shows how much, how much garbage and fumes we humans put out all the time that if it weren't for these natural air flows that, that we take for granted, what our world would would smell like and look like and what our air and breathing conditions would be but just for that one day because we didn't have that lifting recycled air and we had that temperature inversion everything was trapped in there and we were just smelling all our own fumes <laughs> that like everybody's burps and farts and our our car gas you know co2 and everything we were just smelling that for like a day and a half and i thought that was that was pretty crazy and cool that that we got an explanation for that from a scientist so all right so that's just something uh a kind of a real life real life experience that i wanted to to share to maybe drive this concept home for you guys one thing i, I do want to repeat is that when the relative humidity is high and there is a temperature inversion a pilot should expect conditions of smooth air poor visibility fog, haze, or low clouds. Okay, so just remember, relative humidity is high and there's a temperature inversion. You're going to have smooth air, but you're going to have poor visibility, likely fog, haze, and low clouds. The next thing I want to mention, which is something you might see on the FA written, is the presence of ice pellets at the surface is also evidence of a temperature inversion with freezing rain at higher altitudes falling to the surface and freezing into ice pellets. It is likely that the precipitation starts as snow high in the cold 
layer of air in the upper atmosphere, but gets slight, it slightly melts as it goes through that warm layer of air in that temperature inversion, and it kind of becomes freezing rain and melts a little bit. And then as it continues down, it re-enters the cold air near the surface, again, because we had that temperature inversion, and it refreezes again into ice pellets. So that's another indication of a temperature version is when you have ice pellets at the surface. And that is uh, something that I've seen as an FA written question. Okay, so that has been the lesson on temperature inversions. Remember, the most frequent type of temperature inversion is caused by ground-based radiation into the air on calm nights where you don't have that recycling of air. And then you want to remember that the basics of the inversion, that you should expect an increase in temperature as the altitude increases because you have that layer of warmer above you, which is not normal. And it's going to be a stable layer, but below it's going to trap things that can make the visibility bad, like fog, haze, or low clouds. And then also the last thing is if you see ice pellets, that might also be an indication. Ice pellets on the surface might also be an indication of a temperature inversion. Okay, so that is it for episode 18 of the Audio Ground School podcast. It's a little bit of a shorter one, but I want to stop it here because the next episode is going to be on fog and types of fog. And then we'll get into also frost and ice, as well as the dew point if we have time. But the fog episode covers a lot of different variations of fog. And then the frost and ice also has quite a bit of information. So I think if we started that now... We might go a little bit too long, longer than I want these episodes to be. I want you guys to really, you know, I, I release one of these a week and I want you guys to be able to maybe listen to it a couple times, really get good on this information and I don't want to cram them too full of stuff. So I think it's a good stopping point right here. We'll start next Monday when we release the podcast on lesson five of section five and that'll be on fog. So thank you guys for listening as always, and I'll talk to you later. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle from my own experience in flight training after three years five instructors and twenty two thousand dollars and wanting to quit multiple multiple times and then now after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot i've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons now who here has seen top gun maverick do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. 
if we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time. Everything's great and dandy. But once you get into, you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gain is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you want to avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic, again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step -step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices. Have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can 
utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.